Good morning. It's always just such a good thing to be here with you guys on Sunday, and it's my favorite time of the week. So grateful. And my name is Tracy. I'm a member here at Redeemer, and I guess that's all you need to know. I am going to read Colossians 2, 13 through 15. This is ESV. Here we go. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death. Thank you, Father God, that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing. That's a hard word. Triumphing over them in him. This is the word of God. Thank, Thank you, God. God. Thank you, Tracy. Um, well, good morning. My name is Ryan Owens. You got to meet Brian. Uh, for those of you who um, are just joining us for worship, uh, I, I just want to say thank you for gathering with us this morning. It's a great blessing to both Brian and I uh, and our families for us to, to gather every Sunday to worship, um, to put Jesus as the center of our lives, the center of our weeks. Um, I, we've got... We've only been really gathering for the last couple of months since mid-August, and so um, there's a whole roller coaster of a story that led up to that point. Uh, but I'll give you the short version. So last December, my wife and I and our kids moved back to San Angelo uh, to plant Redeemer, um, and we invited Brian and Kirsty. We asked them to join us and to plant with us because we knew that we needed help. And so um, they, they joined us. Brian was working in this building as the associate pastor of uh, Journey Bible Church. And so when they agreed to join us, the Journey was just so excited and, and really believed in discipleship and, and making disciples and planting churches. So they sent him off well. Um, they sent, they, I say sent, they never actually got to send him out because one of the things that led to where we are, where we are now in this building is that um, not long after my wife and I moved here, the lead pastor of the journey, Tom, he and his wife uh, felt that it was necessary for them to stay in Dallas. So Tom's wife, Kim, had some really serious complications with COVID, um, and she is, she is doing much better now. So praise God. We've, we've prayed and prayed for her, um, but God has healed her, and he's, he's rescued her. Uh, so we're so grateful for that, but they decided to stay in Dallas. Now, that meant that the, the journey needed a pastor. And so the Lord merged these two bodies together um, that we came to plant Redeemer and the journey, the body at the journey needed a pastor. And so we merged these two churches together. And through this past summer, we've worked through that process. And we get to this point in August where we launch, and we've been launched for a couple of weeks where Brian has shared with us before, we're in a season of prayer and proximity, sharing the same space together at the same time on purpose, right? And that we should be praying for one another, we should be praying for our church, that we as a church will pray for one another, that we will pray for our body to be unified. And so that's a plug for our Wednesday night prayer nights in this room at 6.30 every week. Um, and so I, I wanted to share that story with you just as a way to, I, I know that we've got a lot of new people in this room, but that's just a way really to thank all of you for joining us because the Lord sent us here with a vision 
of learning and living the good news of Jesus together in our city. Learning and living the gospel of Jesus in San Angelo. And so we've got um, a six-month plan that we'd like to share with anyone who's willing to come and, and listen to our, our vision for the next six months. Now, it's only six months because, as you can see, in the last six months, a lot has changed. So we can really only see one, maybe two steps at a time. And so we want to share with you all, uh, Brian was at November 14th, um, immediately after service, we want to share with everyone um, just the vision of the next six months of Redeemer and what, what we believe the Lord is calling us into. And so that's going to be mostly a lot of what got us here is a lot of the why. Why do we plant churches? Why do we live gospel-centered lives? Uh, and now the next six months is looking at how. How do we make disciples? How do we mature as disciples? Okay, so uh, I hope that you'll join us on November 14th. Uh, we're excited to share that um, process or that, um, the how with you in, ho in hope that we can uh, just grow even more together in prayer and proximity. So um, like Tracy read this morning, we are in Colossians 2. We're in verses 13 through 15, but we will also be in Genesis 2, in Genesis 3. So if you want to put a bookmark there, put your finger there. We've even got connect cards in front of you in the chair backs. If you want to take one of those out, fill it out, stick it in Genesis, and then at the end of service, you can put it in the offering boxes. <laughs> Shameless plug. <clears throat> Our text today can be summarized in one short sentence. Jesus alone has defeated death, sin, and Satan. Jesus alone has defeated death, sin, and Satan. In chapter 1, verse 13, we learn that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is a gift of God. It's not our own doing. Jesus alone defeated death, sin, and Satan. He defeated death with life. He defeated sin with forgiveness. And he defeated Satan by the power of God in an ancient promise. He defeated death with life. He defeated sin with forgiveness. He defeated Satan by the power of God through an ancient promise. And we see uh, verse, verses 13 through 15 are part of this paragraph we've been in for a couple of weeks now. This paragraph talking about uh, Paul urging the Colossian church to not be deceived into the worldly ways of thinking that not necessarily want to downgrade God, but want to add to him. They want to say that we have something to contribute. They want to say that the world has something to contribute to our life and our vitality. Our greatest temptation is not specifically to downgrade God. Our greatest temptation is to upgrade ourselves, to make ourselves like God, or to make something else like God. We work tirelessly to be victorious for ourselves. We structure our whole lives around being good enough, smart enough, and gosh darn it, to get people to like us. Does anybody remember that reference? 
That's in all of us. We fight with God and one another for glory, honor, and power. The Holy Spirit is saying in this passage in Colossians 2 that we haven't done anything to help ourselves and that we can't do anything to help ourselves and that that is good news. We haven't done anything to help ourselves and we can't do anything to help ourselves. Jesus alone has defeated death, sin, and Satan. And so we look at verse 13. Paul says here, and you who were dead in your trespasses. This is a reference, our first reference to Genesis, if we want to go back to Genesis 2.17. You were dead in your trespasses. When God created the world, he created the plants and the animals, he created humans, he created the stars, and he set humans in this amazing creation, this garden. And he gave them boundaries because boundaries are good. He gave them boundaries in order to obey as a sign of worship, obedience to God as a sign of saying, God is greater than I am. He's smarter, he's more wise, he's the source of life. To obey God is worship. And so God puts the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this forbidden fruit, in the midst of the garden. And he commands Adam, do not eat. Let's read verse 17, Genesis 2. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But then there's a discourse later with Adam, after he eats of the fruit. And then Adam continues on with life, and and he has children and, and goes on, and he's referenced throughout Scripture, right? So he didn't really die. What we'll notice throughout Scripture, it's made uh, prominent here, is that God emphasizes and prioritizes the spiritual over the physical. This is a theme of Scripture, that the spiritual is more pronounced, more important, more vital to our life than the physical. This is why not the destruction of the objects of our sin is our greatest need, but our salvation is our greatest need. For our hearts to be made right, for our souls to be restored to God. Getting a little bit ahead of myself, the kind of death being referred to here is spiritual death. And immediately we see the implications because Adam lies, he hides, he covers up, he points the finger he, point, he points the finger at the only two other people around, right? God, you gave me that woman. But God commanded Adam. Eve didn't come into the picture just yet. God commanded Adam to worship him in obedience. And so when God says here in Colossians and in Ephesians 2 that we're dead in our trespasses, This means that we're separated from the truest source of life. The only source of spiritual life and being and vitality. We've cut ourselves off. We've rejected him. 
Verse 13 is saying, you have completely in every way estranged yourself from God and there's nothing you can do about it. What exactly has left us dead? Well, we introduced in uh, this passage in Genesis God's command to obey him. And we know that Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Uh, we know that they disobeyed God. But let's look at uh, Genesis 3, verses 4 through 5. The serpent deceived Eve into something m- much more attractive than fruit. The fruit was just the object. It was just the, the eating of that fruit, the taking from that tree was just the action. There's something under, behind, or influencing that sin. Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Line number one. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. There was a promise, a, a, a lie, but the, the hope of something greater than the fruit represented by the fruit. The serpent deceived Eve and Adam into thinking that God didn't have their best interests in his best interests. That God doesn't really care about their knowledge, about their growth, about their maturity and their well-being. God wanted to keep something from them. And so what the serpent deceived Eve into was distrusting God to be good enough for her and fooling her into thinking she could then be God. Take this fruit and you will be like God. That is the root of our sin. Why are you angry? Because in some way, deep down in your heart, you Don't trust God to be good, but that you can be like God. Why do we want what other people have? Because our being like God is at stake, isn't it? Why do we manipulate people? Why do we manipulate situations? Why do we fight and work hard to hoard all of our resources? Instead of share and spread the blessings of God amongst his church and amongst the people at need. Because we truly believe in our hearts that God doesn't have our best interests at hand. So we have to be our own gods. This is at the root of our sin. Now, we have actions that we do, right? Sinful things that we'll get into in in Colossians 3 these evil deeds, these hostile ways that we act towards God that we read in Colossians 1. These are rooted in a heart that distrusts God and is deceived into thinking we can be our own gods. There's a great temptation that Brian and I have to make something of ourselves on this stage. There's a great temptation that we have in building this church plant that we can make something of ourselves, that we can make our name recognizable in San Angelo and in Texas and in our networks. There's a great Spurgeon quote. He says, I don't need anyone to tell me that I preached a good sermon because Satan's already whispered it by the time I get off stage. That's true. And my flesh believes it. 
deep down, deep, deep down, because Christ has saved me and I trust him, I do want God to be glorified. But my heart is still broken. And so I still act in ways that are rooted in a heart's desire for myself to be glorified, for my name to be made most prominent, most preeminent on this stage. Nobody's singing songs to Ryan or Brian. The whole point of our gathering this morning is to lift up the name of Jesus. We don't necessarily want the fruit. We want God's glory and wisdom and power. It's not that we want what we can't have. We consider ourselves being better at being God. Our actions are symptoms of our broken heart. So the, the role at this point to trust in Jesus and to follow him is to constantly be digging deeper and deeper as to how our hearts are broken. What are our sin tendencies? What are the things that we are fighting for? This is a lifelong journey. But this is the surrender, the denying ourselves and picking up our cross that Jesus talks about in Mark 8, 34. Paul gives himself as an example of this battle, this inward battle, this tendency to only do evil, to choose anything else but God. Romans 7, uh, verses 21 through 24. Paul says this, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Do we agree? For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I want to obey God and worship him in my obedience. But I see in my members, in my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We're getting deeper and deeper and darker and darker into our own hearts. The thing about our sin against God is that because God is eternal, even though we may act sinfully in one moment, We're sinning against an eternal God. Therefore, our sin against him is eternal. This is not a debt we can pay. In Matthew 6, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he relates our sin as debt, right? That our our sin against God is an infraction requiring a payment. St. Ambrose comments on this for us. He says, The debt is nothing else but sin. The reason why you find yourself in such conditions is that you have borrowed money from the wrong moneylender. Needlessly, you have contracted a debt to the devil. And yet again, in a parable in Matthew 18, Jesus declares our sin as debt that is entirely impossible for us to recover. It's a debt that we will never be able to pay the, 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 the man who owes the king, what is it, 10,000 talents. In, this, in Matthew 18, if we take that number that he owes the king, that's 200 lifetimes of salary. Impossible. We can't ever repay that. If the story stops there, 
if, that, if that's it for us. There's no God. Jesus is a fraud, and we should work tirelessly to be our own gods if that's the end of the story. But that's not the end of the story. There is hope. We do have hope in Christ. There's, there's more to that St. Ambrose quote. There's more to that Romans 7 reference. There's more to this story in Genesis. Let's go back to Genesis 3 in verse 15 this time. God has found Adam and Eve. They tried to hide. <clears throat> they tried to hide from God, which makes a lot of sense. But God finds them having deliberately disobeyed him. Their sin has led to their shame. It's put them in bondage. They've, they've tried to cover themselves up. They've inaugurated their spiritual death and their eternal descent into sin. God has something to say to Adam, something to say to Eve, but first he turns to the serpent and speaks to him. This is the first preaching of the gospel in scripture. What are we on, page two, page three? Verse 15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Other translations say he'll crush your head, but you'll bruise his heel. If our sin is debt that's enslaved us to the power of sin, death, and Satan, the domain of darkness, then our greatest need is to be forgiven of that debt. If it's true that we are spiritually dead, then the greatest thing we need is to be made alive again. We don't need to go and find life for ourselves. We have to be made alive. We'll never be able to pay the debt ourselves. We need the debt forgiven and so God came to us in the person of Jesus, fully man, fully God, in order to live a perfect life, a life without debt to God, not a single thought or action of hostility towards God or man. Jesus lived his entire life without this record of debt that we carried around. It was a plan all along because in, in verse 15 of chapter 3 of Genesis, God made a promise that the serpent would be defeated, that the power of sin and death and Satan would be crushed, but it would take being bruised. It would take being hurt himself. Let's go back to Colossians. We're going to be in verse 14, chapter 2. Verse 14 says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this, this record of debt that we carry around, this never-ending list of sin, this never-ending list of ways that we've rejected God and chosen to be our own gods, and our hearts have been postured towards distrusting God, this never-ending record of sin with its legal demands, this he set aside, 
Not just set aside like I'm going to put it right over here. Set aside by taking it off of us. He takes the record of debt out of our hands and nailed it to the cross. This nailing it to the cross was, um, this is an image of Jesus' crucifixion. And when, when Pilate puts Jesus on the cross, he also nails an inscription of his criminal record. And he says, the king of the Jews. He's being crucified. And his charge against Jesus is that he attempted to be the king of his own people. This is a direct infraction against Caesar. And so Jesus was being tried for treason. He was being murdered for treason, for rebelling against the earthly king. Isn't that ironic? Because he actually is the king, and we were the ones that rebelled against God. We were the ones that were treasonous towards God, that wanted his throne. Yet Jesus nailed that criminal charge on the cross on our behalf. He took on the penalty of our record of debt, of our record of sin, of our curse of death. In Jesus, God has made us alive together with him. In Jesus, God has canceled our debt of sin. In Jesus, God has triumphed over Satan in the domain of darkness. This is why John 3.16 is such a popular verse. It preaches the gospel in one sentence. God's love for his children was so great that he came down from heaven to pay the debt himself, to stand under the curse of death on our behalf so that you, if you would believe that he's paid your debt, you would be made alive together forever with him. That, that creation moment when God put Adam and Eve in the garden in this amazing creation that he gave them will be restored because of what Jesus has done, this ancient promise that was the plan all along. The sin that gives you so much shame the accusations that crush you. Jesus dragged them through town and put them to open shame, displaying his victory over death and sin and Satan. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. It's this, if you look at um, verse 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Having forgiven, uh, Brian could probably explain this a little bit better. Maybe some of you understand this way more than I do. This is a tense. Um, it's not this past tense, uh, one time that this happened and, and it's limited. This is an aorist tense. Am, am I saying that right? Aorist that means that it's a moment in time where something happened that has timeless implications. Something happened in time that extends all the way to the beginning of the past, exists now in the present, and extends all the way into the future. 
So every sin that we have committed, the sinful tendencies of our heart right now, and the ways that we will sin and reject God, that's already been dealt with. Jesus has already nailed that to the cross and has forgiven us. Our past, present, and future debt against the eternal God has been forgiven eternally. We're told exactly how to get in on this victory in Mark 1. Jesus himself says in verse 15, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Our only requirement to participate in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is to turn from our sin. And now, because of Christ, we have somewhere to turn. Without him, we can turn from our sin, but we're just turning to more sin. But in Christ, we can turn from our sin, turn towards our Savior, who gives us victory already, past, present, and future. We are not just welcomed into the kingdom of God, but we are brought into the kingdom of God. And by recognizing our need for Jesus, by confessing the reality of our record of debt and trusting in the forgiveness of our Savior by realizing that all I contribute to this relationship between me and Jesus is the sin that needs forgiveness, the debt that needs paid, the death that needs to be brought to life. That's all we contribute. Remember St. Ambrose's words about the debt of our sin. This is how he finishes that thought. He said, needlessly we've contracted a debt to the devil. The evil one had your letter of debt, but on the cross, Christ destroyed it, eliminating your debt and returning you to freedom. Remember Paul's words in Romans 7? He asked the question, who will save me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if you haven't received the forgiveness in life of Jesus, would you please do so this morning? Would you come and talk to Brian and I, Brian or I this morning during the next song? Jesus makes it clear to us in Scripture that the life of a Christian is a constant repentance and surrender. There's a word in the Psalms um, that David uses. He says uh, that he's a pilgrim. This is a constant returning back to God. Isaiah preaches this as well. That it's in returning that we find rest. It's in our surrender to God that we find peace. Exactly what Brian brought to us this morning in Habakkuk. That we need God to be our strength. It's okay for us to be weak. It's in our recognizing the debt that we owe and recognizing that Jesus has already paid it, that we have forgiveness and life. Church, this is what we want for you. This is how we mature in Christ, to see you as fully formed disciples, learning and living the good news of Jesus, is to have that constant returning to his forgiveness. Only Jesus is how we are made right with God, and only Jesus is how we stay right with God.
we have this tendency, even when we sin, we have this tendency to try to make it up to God. We either try to punish ourselves. This is something that, man, I grew up doing this uh, as an early Christian. When I would inevitably sin yet again, I would punish myself and say, well, I'm not good enough to draw near to the throne. That is a lie. Do not believe that lie. You have already been forgiven. You are brought into the presence of God through the death of Christ. And you are raised with him in new life in his resurrection. You're already made alive with him. And guess where he is? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So guess where you are? Seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ. This is why we gather weekly. To remember what Jesus has done for us. Because we're prone to wander. We're prone to be deceived into thinking that we make better gods for ourselves. This forgiveness of Jesus is still and always available. So we've got tables in the back. We've got one table up here to my left. Would you take time this morning? And, and this, is, this is what I want for you this week. Take the time this week to pray and consider. Ask the Holy Spirit to refine you, to show you where your sin is. And a lot of times the Spirit will do that in ways that hurt, that, that bring out some wounds. Um, but keep going. Dig into what the Spirit is leading because there's life in Christ. Continue to pour your heart into Jesus. Reading through these scriptures. Praying to him. Ask the Spirit to show how your sinful actions are rooted in a broken heart that just wants to be like God. Do that this morning. Please do that for the rest of this week. But take the juice that represents the blood of Christ poured out for you to give you new life. To cover and wash away your sin. Take the bread, this body of Christ that was broken for you to pay the debt of your sin. Holy Father, we trust you, God, to not just forgive us, but to bring life in us, to give us the life of your Son. We trust you to make us whole and to make us right. God, would you help us to see that we need your forgiveness, that we need your life, and that we can't be God for ourselves. That our being like you is actually a curse. But if we surrender to you and let you be God, that there's life and there's blessing. God, would you give us more of your son? Would you give us more of your spirit? Would you teach us to pray this week? Would you refine us? Let us turn from our sin so that we can turn towards you, God. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for forgiving the debt that we owe. 
and for raising us to new life.